If you look around the world in the last uh, few months, especially this last month, there's a lot of things that have caused disrest. Uh, the climate of our country is unsettled, to say the least. If you looked at the hurricanes that hit Houston and Hurricane Harvey, which says did over $180 billion worth of damage. Hurricane Irma that crashed into Florida, estimated to be at $150 billion. Thank the Lord it was only around $50 billion. But you look at those two things that came together. Unbelievable devastation and power. The earthquake that hit Mexico like none they might have seen. You go back a few weeks earlier and we had something of a phenomenon. It's been 38 years since 1979 when there was a total eclipse. When the moon passed between the sun and the earth and the brilliance of the sun was overcome by the darkness. And you look around and all of these things, people wonder what's going on and what's happening. And is this the end? And I remember that in 2000 when Y2K was coming and all of you had food stored everywhere and people started doing crazy things. And is this the end? And we're still here. I think the psalmist in Psalm 46 has some words that is just good for us to start tonight. Where he simply just says, God is our refuge and he is our strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God, God will help. God is within her, and she will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. Nations, well, they are in an uproar. Kingdoms, they fail. But he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty, he is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And he says tonight, whatever you're walking through, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. I don't know about you, but when the first church started, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have been a part of seeing God be exalted through his son, Jesus Christ. I wish I could have been there in the moment when he ascended up to heaven. And he left these men Betrayers, people who turned away, incompetent, not really sure, didn't have all of the answers, yet, yet God said, you, you're the ones that are going to start this church. Can you imagine what it would have been like? For me, I look at that and I see opportunity. Some of you just see many obstacles and you'd have been scared to death and I would have been like, Wow. He entrusted an imperfect, broken person like me to do what he's called me to do, to go and change the world. In the book of Acts, the unbelievable happened. 
The earth shook in a different way. The wind swept in, and the power of God had come upon these group of people, and our world would never be the same. The unbelievable happened as Luke begins to write and unfold and continue his story from the book of Luke as he begins in chapter 1. And Jesus appears for 40 days and he hangs out with these people and he's preparing them to build his church. I wish I could have been there. And I think to myself, as I listened to Chris speak last week and he did an awesome job as he intro the book of Acts. Why is the church today, with the same power that it had in the very beginning, closing more doors than it's opening? Why is the church today, why have we, its people, seemingly, in some ways, lost our voice, our influence, even our power? Why are fewer and fewer people identifying themselves as followers of Jesus? I look back, and in the environment in which Christianity grew in the first century was more hostile than anything we're experiencing today. And the crazy thing is, when the church first got going, they had nothing going for them. Yet God was able to grow the church in the first century. But the question is, do we believe he still wants to do the same thing today? Is he still growing his church? Is he still calling people to his son, Jesus Christ? And I believe he is, and I believe he wants to grow the church, but I think something's got to change. And something has to be different, as Chris said, and I think tonight it starts with you and it starts with me. As Luke continues to share the story of Jesus, he comes to this segment in Acts chapter 1, and they're beginning to question, uh, what's going on here? And they're wondering if he's about ready to bring Israel in and restore the kingdom of Israel. And, and Jesus says to them, Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 9, it's not for you to know the times or date the Father has sent by his own authority. But here's what you need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. It's interesting, they started with the question as they gathered around him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, I'm not even going to answer that. It's not for you to know times and dates. God, my father, he's got all that. Jesus Address the timetable and not the understanding of the kingdom of Israel. God was about ready to start something new. Israel was not the end. It was the foundation in the beginning. God was going to do something greater than they could ever imagine. And he called them to be witnesses. Not just to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of of the earth. Can you imagine? They probably had never been out of their region, and God's all of a sudden speaking through Jesus Christ and saying, You're going to the ends of the earth. They had no understanding of what that even meant. They didn't know what the ends of the earth were. Yet God was going to do something in them, and then He wanted to do something through them. I want to remind you tonight that our God, um, His promises always exceed our expectations. God wasn't ready to restore Israel, He was ready to change the entire world. And he was going to begin with these 11 ordinary men. He was about ready to bring heaven to earth. 
And he was about ready to make a way for you and a way for me to be reconciled to the Father. You serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever imagine tonight. And the fact is, he chooses you and me should be beyond your understanding and comprehension. That he would choose to use us. That he would choose to use me blows me away because I know me. I don't have that much to offer. But I pray I would be like the 11. That when Jesus said, here's the two things. I'm going to give you power and you're going to be my witnesses that I would trust him. And I would go and do what he asked me to do. And he says the greatest word in the first chapter. You will receive power. Might want to circle that in your Bible. You will receive power. That word in the Greek is is translated dynamus, which we get dynamite from. Think about it. You got it. Followers of Jesus, you will receive power. I'm not going to grant you a plan. I'm not going to tell you how to do everything. I'm not going to give you the one, two, threes. I'm not going to give you the strategy. I'm going to give you something so much greater. I'm going to give you power. Not a plan. I don't know about you, but let me ask you a question. What would you rather have? The power or the plan? Think about it before you answer. Because some of you think you want the plan. You know how I know? Because I like the plan. You know how I know? Because sometimes I want the plan when I have all the power. I want to understand. I want to know how I'm going to get from here to here and how God's going to help me get there. He says, I'm not going to tell you the plan, but here's what I'm going to tell you. You've got the power. Now, what are you going to do with it? You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? Well, you saw me die. You saw me rise again. Now you are seeing me getting ready to ascend into heaven. You will be the witnesses that I am who I say I am. And I am going to be enthroned as the Messiah, the one where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You now are my witnesses to the entire world. And I'm asking you to start the church. Now, I promise you this. You've got the power. Now, go tell the story. In Jerusalem, the surrounding countryside, in Samaria, the hated semi-foreigners living right next door. Think about that. And then to the ends of the earth. What he basically says to them and to us is the Holy Spirit is really me living in you. And I got to go so you can receive the power. And I want you to know something tonight, and if this is the only thing you grasp, I'd love you to write it down, but the unique power of the Holy Spirit is what empowers God's unique work in you. Unique power of the Holy Spirit empowers God's unique work in you. So Jesus comes and he says, all authority 
God's taken all that, times and dates. He got it all. But you're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses. And after he said that, he was taken up. Now, these men are standing around and saying, now what do we do? <laughs> they knew they had to replace one of the disciples because Judas had betrayed. So now they start looking in chapter 1 to replace Judas, and they start interviewing a couple people. One dude gets in, one dude doesn't get in. And all of a sudden, we're in chapter 2, and we're at the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost comes, and it says this. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's talk a little bit about that word Pentecost. It means uh, 50th. Uh, for a first century Jew, Pentecost was the 50th day after Passover. It was an agricultural festival, and it was a day when the farmers brought the first sheaf of wheat from the crop, and they offered it to God, partly as a sign of gratitude and partly as a prayer that the rest of the crop would be safely gathered. But for the Jew... Neither Passover nor Pentecost were simply about their crops. See, these festivals were to be something that were going to awaken their souls, to remind them of the stories that had been passed on from generation to generation, the stories of the exodus from Egypt as God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and he rescued his people. Passover was the reminder of when the Israelites were saved from the avenging angel who slew the firstborn children of all the Egyptians right before God parted the waters and they passed through the Red Sea. Then 50 days after Passover, they came to Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And you see, there was this cycle that was going on, and it wasn't about their crops. It was about a picture being completed, where God is actually giving his people his purposes, filled with his power to pursue his glory for the rest of their lives. The day of Pentecost marked something where God's spirit fell and the world would never be the same. And the, looter, the, the writer Luke knows that these people would connect those dots. That these apostles who were filled with the spirit would go on to bear the powerful witness to Jesus and his resurrection from that very day. And this day of Pentecost, many would come to faith in Christ. And that on this day, it was signaling something. It was signaling a harvest that was about ready to come, that the sheaf of the first day was now becoming a great harvest. Think about it. Moses went up to Sinai, and he met with God, and he got the tablets and the Ten Commandments, and he comes down with the law. Jesus ascends up to heaven, and what comes down is not a bunch of commands on a tablet, but what comes down is the power of God that can dwell in anyone who calls on his name. Jesus, Jesus the name that is above every name. For you see, Pentecost, it's about the life of Jesus being seen in your lifeless life and in mine. It's about the power of God sweeping through your life and your heart, your imagination, and transforming you into a devoted follower that is compelled to go and change his world as a witness. It is the unique power of the Holy Spirit, empowering God's unique work in you. And look where it all starts. Acts 2, verse 1 and it says this, they were all together in one place. 
the Spirit comes as they were all together. Why is that so important? This passage of Scripture has been more divisive in the church than it has been unifying. We've lost clarity over what the actual mission was and got caught up in the things that happened on that day. The Spirit comes to unite, not to divide. The Spirit is not confused. It is us, many times, that are confused. The things that are important, the Spirit comes, and He gives clarity, and He speaks. Now, Peter is about ready to address the crowd. How great is that? You know Peter, the betrayer, the runner, the denier, and he is the one that's going to give the message. And as we look at Acts chapter 2, we move on to verse 32. And as Peter begins to tell the story and unfold what has happened and the Messiah has risen, it says this, God has raised this Jesus to life, verse 32, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus was crucified. Now he is Lord and Messiah. And in verse 37, he goes on, when the people heard this, it said that they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's greatest gift to you is deep within you. And it is the power to not only change you, but the power to go and change the world. I don't know about you uh, these days, but I, I have found it hard to live without this. Anybody else want to admit that? Okay, thank you. Others of you, as I always say, you're liars, because it is <laughs> impossible. What do you do every night? Do you plug it in? When you wake up the next morning and you forget to plug it in, how are you feeling? When you're on a plane like I was last week, and I am running out of power, how do you feel? I had two of those little chargers that, you know, are supposed to charge it up. Guess what I did? I left it on a plane a couple weeks earlier with all my bag of electronics. Can you believe that? I had no extra power source. And I was down to like 9%. And I started to get the jitters. <laughs> it's a phone. but we're always powering it up. And Jesus comes and he says, look, I'm giving you the greatest gift you could ever have. And what it equals is power. And so many times in my Christian walk, I'm at 9%. And I wonder why God's not doing something. And I wonder why my life isn't different. And, and I wonder why, and, and I realize I'm, I'm connected to the wrong power source. And you know what power source I'm connected to? Me. 
Because the enemy's convinced me that I'm all that and I can do it on my own and I can control and I can design and I can manipulate and I can do what nobody else can do. And Jesus said, listen, disciples, here's the greatest thing that I'm going to tell you and then I'm getting out of here and you're going to have to figure it all out, but you have power. You don't have a plan. You don't have all the answers. Tomorrow, it's going to be tough, but you've got power. Why do we settle for so much less? And Jesus comes, listen, and he speaks through Peter, and the Spirit is there, and he says, here it is, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive power. How? Great is that. So what do we do with this? I think if we were doing what the disciples did, and I am including myself, so I'm not talking to you, we would see a heck of a lot more churches opening than closing today. I think... If we actually got serious about Jesus and quit worrying about all the stuff that doesn't matter, the world could be different. I think we've, we've lost our voice because the church has lost its way. It was about Jesus and nothing else. And look... We kind of messed it up over the thousands of years, haven't we? And he still wants to use us. And he still says, the church is my plan A. I don't have a plan B. You're it. And I just believe he's in heaven just saying, come on, you guys, figure it out. Because <laughs> I dwell in you you have everything you need at your disposal to change the world. So what do we need to do tonight? How do we need the Holy Spirit to be empowered within us? I want to give you three things in the 11 minutes and 24 seconds I have less. And here they are. The Holy Spirit empowers you to repent. Everything starts here. Repentance and power go hand in hand. You know what? I, I can't get my eyes open to what God wants if my body and my mind is full of junk. That's why in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said these words, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't say, blessed are the perfect in heart, for they shall see God. If, if only God illuminated the minds of people who are perfect, nothing would ever happen. We all know that. Pure doesn't mean perfect, but pure in heart means I'm caught up today on my confession. That there's nothing that stands between me and my God. Yeah, God, I agree that that was wrong in my life. And right now, you are right, and I am wrong, and I confess, and I repent, I turn away. And I don't allow the garbage to pile up in my life because he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you want to see God work in your life, if you want to see the power of the Spirit lived out, he says, repent, confess, get yourself right. 
which should be happening all the time for those of you who are in a right relationship with God, because here's what you realize. I'm not all that, and he is. <laughs> and I don't have it together, but he does. And if I can confess, and if I can acknowledge that I am in sin, or I'm falling short, guess what? It says you're forgiven, and the power of God is alive in you. So he says, the Holy Spirit, it empowers you to repent. The second thing, it empowers you to see as God sees. We all know this, that brightness increases clarity. Brighter the bulb, the brighter the clarity. And what the Holy Spirit does is he illuminates God's word. Ephesians 1 verse 17 says this, I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you his spirit, the Holy Spirit. The spirit will make you wise and it will let you understand what it means to know God. I love that phrase. He will let you understand. The Holy Spirit will make you wise and let you understand. This is what it means to actually power up. This is what the power of a revelation, when God begins to speak and you begin to read his word and you begin to see things that you have never seen before. See, this book, we must understand, is a supernatural book. It's not only in God's word, but it is the only book that when you actually talk to the author while you're reading it, the author talks back to you. That when you read it, there are things you see that you've never seen before, and there's things that are illuminated that you go, oh my gosh, I never saw that. There are things that convict that you've never been convicted of. It's when you read God's word that the Holy Spirit comes, and he says, I am going to speak through you and through this word. And it's when your life is changed. It's when you can look at the scriptures and you read something and you say, God, how can this make a difference in my life today? How can I apply that to my life right now? And the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear. And the Holy Spirit, it says, puts impressions on your minds and your eyes are open as the word of God illuminates and is enlightened before you. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, he goes on and he said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The eyes of the heart. Think about it. When you were born physically, everything you learn in life comes through the five senses. Hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, and feeling. God gave us everything to experience life in that way. And as long as you live, you're going to experience life with those five things from hear, touch, taste, smell, and feel. You don't have those, you don't experience anything. Think about this. I love how Rick Warren put it. He says that when you were physically born, you had all of those attributes. But when you were spiritually born, when you were saved, when you were filled with the Spirit of God, he gave you a second set of senses and you have spiritual ears to hear some things you've never heard before. And you get spiritual eyes all of a sudden to start to see things about life you didn't see before. And all of a sudden you feel some things that you didn't feel before. These are the eyes of your heart, the spiritual senses that God is opening up in a new way for you to experience God and all that he has for you. And you actually live in two worlds. There's a spiritual world which we cannot see and there's a physical world which we do see. And the spiritual world is what created the physical world. When you read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says the earth was formless and it was empty and there was darkness everywhere and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And in the very beginning of time, the spiritual world was in existence and it lasts longer than the physical world. 
and it will outlast one day. Everything here is going to vanish. This building will crumble. This podium will decay. It'll rust. It will go away. Physical things don't last forever. They are temporary. But the spirit that dwells within you says it will live. It will live. And scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes so that we would have eyes to see as God sees. Third thing is this. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live a spirit-filled life. Romans 8, verse 11 through 13, what does that mean? It says this, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. It's to live according to to the flesh, but you will die if you do that. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. It empowers you to see, and then it empowers you to live a life that is full of power. Psalm 119 says, give me understanding so that I may keep your law, and I may obey it in your heart. The Spirit of God comes and He speaks to you and you begin to do things and act in ways that you can't even imagine. And God begins to do something in you when you step out in faith and obedience when the Spirit leads. Not when all of your plans are in place and not when the destination is fully known and not when you can make it on your own. God says, no, I'm looking for people to be obedient to me when I give them a call that's way bigger than themselves. When I give them a call and I speak to them and they have no way how it's going to work unless God shows up. We have a value around here called risk-ovation. We made up a word, but we put it together with risk and innovation. And we said when God speaks, we're going to step out in faith and we're going to do some things because he's calling us to do it. And guess what? People call us crazy and we're like, awesome, because I can't do it. I don't know how we're going to do it, but God's going to show up. You know what the coolest thing is? There are people in this church that do this on a regular basis. I was uh, up two weeks ago with Jay Hewitt, our, our campus pastor at Orange. And many of you know he, he went in um, for brain surgery two weeks ago. And uh, there's going to be a picture of me and him hanging out uh, right before he goes in uh, for surgery. Look at his yellow socks. <laughs> those awesome. Now check out this picture. The next one is, uh, he looks like he's ready for brain surgery, right? That's like 10 minutes before he went in and he was dancing and, and we prayed together. Okay, what you don't know is this. There was probably three doctors in the United States that could do the surgery on his brain because it was a very complicated and intense surgery. What you don't know is the doctor that we had and thought he was going to do the surgery said, I can't do it and referred him somewhere else. What you don't know is we have great insurance, but they denied us coverage for Jay's surgery. We appealed. They denied us again. Jay was having 25 seizures a week. He couldn't wait any longer. So you know what happened? The day he got the news, and he was totally defeated. 
a family in this church. So Jay, we'll pay for that surgery. $250,000 to $1,000,000 is going to be the cost of that surgery. They said, you're not waiting another day. We're going to pay for that surgery. Okay, you know what it did to that dude's faith? You know why he's wearing yellow socks and dancing? Because God took care of it every step of the way. Because the power of God was living in a believer who when the Spirit of God spoke, it wasn't an issue of how much the money was going to cost their family. It was the issue that the Spirit of God told them to be obedient. Now, you know what we did on our end? Some people around here work like crazy to uh, disrupt the insurance companies a little bit. <laughs> Jay's surgery was on Monday, and on Friday afternoon, they approved his surgery. They paid for his surgery. And I'm standing next to the, the, the lady. It hadn't gone through yet. So I'm in San Francisco, and we're at the University of California, San Francisco. I'm standing next to the lady when they go, now, how are you going to pay for this? Because it said you've been denied. And it was awesome, because Jay goes, oh, we're going to pay cash. <laughs> and Natalie came away, his wife, she goes, I bet they don't have that very often. I said, no, they don't. Here was the deal I told that family. I wasn't going to let you pay for it on your own. I was going to come to you, first of all, all you people, and say, who works for this certain insurance company, and you better get to work. That's what I was going to ask you to do. And then the second thing, we were going to take a, an offering, and we are going to raise a million dollars to pay for that surgery. I wasn't letting that family do it, but here's what I loved about that family. God spoke, and guess what they did? They answered. They didn't know at the end that it was all going to be taken care of, but they didn't care. Because when God spoke, they were obedient. Listen to me, you guys. Heaven and hell is at stake. People are dying and don't know Jesus. And it's time that us, the church, becomes the church again. You know what I'm talking about. Those people had so much in their heart that reflected Jesus that it says 3,000 people came to know him. I walked this campus on Thursday night. There were people meeting everywhere. There was alpha groups that started in Spanish and English. There were people on our campus that had never, ever darkened the doors of a church. There were people that were scared to death to come on this campus. And I looked in the chapel, and I saw tables full. There were atheists sitting in the social hall, hearing about Jesus. That is why we're here. And it says this, church, the power of God is in you. It's in me to be the church. And you know what Jesus did? He loved. He opened his arms and he loved. And he said, let's figure out your mess together. I want to be that church. And so today, James says this, do not Merely listen to the word 
and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. So how you doing? If I looked at your life, what's your power source? See, it's the unique power of the Holy Spirit empowering God's unique work in you. But most of us, I think, today are powered by the wrong thing. And most of us are pretending that Jesus is everything. It'll show. There'll be fruit. People will want to know. So how you doing? I read Acts 1, and I just encourage you this week, read it. It's awesome. And as he closed out chapter 2, he says this, and I'm going to close here. The promise is for you. And it's for your children. And it is for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Those who accepted his message. <laughs> they were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You guys know we just did it a couple weeks ago. There's nothing greater than people getting baptized. There's nothing greater than people who were once following darkness turned to light. There's nothing greater when a soul saved for eternity. There's nothing greater. Remember when it happened to you? Let's be people that are about that. But we're going to have to change. And it starts with you.